0: Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back to the PeaceWorks Podcast, everyone. On today's episode, we're going to talk about treatment options, counseling, coaching, groups, for men who use abuse coercion and control but before we jump into that conversation i want to share with you once again uh, just some of the resources that we have available at chrismoles.org you're already part of the peaceworks podcast we're so thankful that you choose to join us every week and if you've benefited from what you're hearing on the podcast we have a membership community Uh, over at our website, chrismoles.org, that I think is your best next step. That's PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it features many, many resources you've heard me talk about many, many times. But I once again want to invite you to join PeaceWorks University. It's a small monthly fee or small annual fee, gets you access to everything, that PeaceWorks University has to offer. So again, if you've benefited from the PeaceWorks podcast, please consider PeaceWorks University. All right, let's talk a little bit about treatment options. So the question comes in quite frequently about how to help my partner change. Usually victims, survivors are seeking help for their abusive partner. Uh, I have found that in most cases, and this is important to, to note, that the victim is often far more interested and engaged in seeking treatment options and counseling or uh, education for their partner than their partner is. Um, And I do want to say at the outset, there is no amount of passion or concern or um, work that can be done to cause your partner to change. Change is as abuse is. choice. It's something that the abusive partner has to decide to engage in, and they have to be willing to do the hard work to take the necessary steps to see change in their own life and how it affects people around them. Nonetheless, it is a huge topic of discussion because there are many, many thoughts out there about uh, working with abusive individuals. There are theories, philosophies, and there are a lot of naysayers, to be honest, who would say that it is pointless. And there are labels that fly around. There are Google-based diagnoses. There are blog-based diagnoses. And it can, it can be confusing and it can muddy the waters for us to really understand what type of options are out there. So to help our listeners and to help you, I thought maybe it would be uh, nice to take the time just to walk through some of the common uh, options that are available in the world and then contrast that to what you know we try to do at PeaceWorks and in other biblical counseling communities. Really, there are two major school of thoughts on change uh, that belong to those who actually believe that batterers or men who use coercion and control can change. There's an entirely different philosophy that's out there, though, that says that men cannot change. So let's start there and then backtrack. So there there are many in the work, and I I even hesitate to use that word because I'm not sure they're effectively involved in the work, uh, but there are many from more like an activist position who would say that men who batter cannot change, that they are um, set in their in their behavior in such a way, or they are disordered to a place that change is not possible. And so really the only effective response to abuse is to care for individuals who are being abused, facilitate their subsequent escape, and when possible, punish the abuser. When not possible, uh, simply allow them to go about their merry way. I'd say that, you know, almost um, you know, tongue-in-cheek because, of course, no one really says that, but there doesn't seem to be a solution for individuals who can't be incarcerated. I think for most of us, especially those of us who believe in the gospel or hold to the scriptures, we would see abuse as something that should be addressed in the heart of an abuser, and they should be called to transformation. Now, we won't get into theological, you know, nuancing of, of the reprobate or the... Um, Uh, the individuals who maybe are beyond repentance, as some would say. I will point out, however, that I think the idea that anyone who engages in coercive control is therefore beyond redemption, I think, is is foolish. And I say that primarily anecdotally, but understand as well, you know, my experience, I have worked with hundreds upon hundreds of abusive men, and I have worked with men who are very dangerous and very scary in some regards and yes I think you could put them in that category uh, possibly a reprobate I don't tend to make those judgments but as I've interacted with them and worked with them they they seem more akin to a cult leader or a criminal offender or uh, something that you might see on a television show however 99%, the vast majority of the men I work with, come from varying degrees of backgrounds and experiences and their use of coercive coercive control vary greatly. And so, uh, yes, the the criminal minded deviant offenders um, may fall into that category, but some individuals I'm just not ready to say, well, of course, they are the same. They are a reprobate when, in fact, they are participating in wickedness, but perhaps to a degree that you can see redemption and change, and we should call them that. And understand, when I use the phrase redemption, transformation, and change, I'm not calling for reconciliation. That's not necessarily my goal when I do intervention, is not to see reconciliation obviously that would be a good side effect that's a possibility Um, but when we talk about reconciliation in our work we're talking about first being reconciled to god and then those other relationships can be discussed or perhaps restored sometimes they cannot Uh, but i say all that to say that i really want to say at the out the outset that anytime you investigate a treatment option Um, there will be some who will say that everyone you're discussing is beyond uh, reach. And I want to say that I disagree with that for a variety of reasons. And I do think it's unfair to label everyone who seeks help for their coercive control um, with those few right, that may fit some um, stereotypical models or um, some caricatures that are out there. So what is available? There are really two schools of thought, as I said earlier, when it comes to how to address individuals who use coercion and control in relationships. The first is a therapeutic response, something that we might call um, cognitive behavioral therapy or uh, psychotherapy, kind of a traditional model of talk therapy, counseling. In fact, I would say that is the first recommended treatment by most folks when you consider the problem. Almost every time that I engage in a new case, one of the first things that has been attempted by uh, individuals who are abusive or by spouses who are victims of abuse is to pursue counseling. And I'm not opposed to individuals entering into a counseling relationship. What I am opposed to Or what i may be hesitant on is the assumption that every counselor is trained and understands the dynamics and impact of abuse and to a greater degree that just any counselor is going to be able to engage with an abusive coercive and controlling individual in fact i would say the vast majority of counselors are ill-prepared both educationally and experientially when it comes to interacting with individuals that are coercive and control controlling, does that mean they shouldn't seek counseling? Well, no. Of course, you you should seek counseling, but understand that this is not your typical, um, you know, case that people are managing. Nor is it something that we're adequately trained to interact with. So you run the risk of uh, having marriage-focused solutions being part of the issue. You run the risk of getting a excuse me, a secondary or tertiary diagnosis such as bipolar or personality disorder. You might have treatment options that focus on past trauma, all of which can be beneficial but are not addressing the issue of the heart. So I do think it's important if you pursue a counseling-based response that the individual counselor have uh, some training in the dynamics and impact of abuse And some aspect of experience or supervision when it comes to working directly with batterers, with offenders, okay? But that is one of the more popular responses. Some of the things we've got to watch for also in this world that uh, I I mentioned briefly is the idea of, of labels. And so it's very likely that an individual who is abusive will present in a way that will garner all kinds of diagnoses. Uh, I had a discussion not long ago with my friend Greg Wilson in PeaceWorks University about abuse work and personality disorders. And one of the conclusions that we come away with is that the diagnosis do not affect us as helpers per se, other than it tells us what the behavior and observ- observable behavior of the client is. And so if a guy comes to me for help, for instance, and he's been diagnosed uh, borderline or narcissistic or bipolar, I'm not going to treat those disorders because it's not in my wheelhouse. I'm not a mental health professional as it were, but that is going to tell me something about his behavior, about his attitude, about his responses, and all of which play into the idea of understanding and responding to abuse. And so I might use that data to help inform my approach. To addressing the heart, a lot of times when we hear those phrases, though those um, those diagnoses, it tends to provide a little bit of hope, as if we have now got to the heart of the matter, and well, that's the problem. He's not abusive. He's bipolar, or he's not abusive. He's borderline, or he's not abusive. He's narcissistic. I would contend the opposite. I would say those diagnoses are often revealing more about the abuse than they are uh, causing the abuse in fact there's no pathological cause to abuse even if someone has a diagnosed you know mental disorder that is not causing domestic abuse there's no uh, evidence to support that Uh, if they are somehow mentally unstable that's that's contributing to abuse uh, it would not be targeted. In other words, it would be very difficult to have an individual victim in that case. So while there might be some overlap, I don't want to provide relief by saying to myself, oh, that's it. He's a narcissist. Therefore, I understand the problem and I can move on. And, and really, we haven't addressed anything other than developing a name or a label. So just keep that in mind, that counseling responses must address the heart. They must provide accountability, and they must call offenders to responsibility. Counseling responses that um, only provide labels or treatment options that don't offer accountability uh, may be less than helpful in the area of working with abusers. The second option, the second uh, treatment plan that's prominent in our culture is educational-based treatment. So you've got counseling-based treatment options um cognitive behavioral therapy um, talk therapy and then on the other hand you've got educational based responses the educational based responses are primarily used uh, in the courts and among the uh, civil and criminal court-based system or within behavioral health communities Uh, these uh, options are usually groups They are what's often called psychoeducational groups, and they're usually based upon a cultural model as opposed to a clinical model. So a cultural model being the belief that um, society, culture, influences um, beliefs that then are exhibited through behavior, and so... The Duluth model, the eMERGE model, amends, various um, combinations of those are often group-based interventions that focus on educating offenders on the dynamics and impact of abuse from a cultural, historical, or sociological perspective in order to highlight their own beliefs right that lead to harmful behavior. You'll often hear these referred to as BIPs or PIPs or some other acronym. And that has been what I have been involved in uh, and engaged in for the last 15 or 16 years. And so that's where my um, practical training has come from. Some of the upsides to this is uh, the group based dynamic gives you a greater degree of accountability. Um, The Discussions are targeted, so instead of a counseling model that is often client-based, the educational model is often victim-based, and so rather than allowing the flow of the care to be dictated by the counselee or client, the flow of the care is dictated um, by eight components that the facilitator is addressing in conjunction with the victim's needs and concerns. And so I have a little higher regard for the sec- from the secular perspective on the group model than the clinical model. However, if you get a good clinician, a counselor, who knows the dynamics and impact of abuse, who understands the dynamics of the heart from a biblical perspective, I think you can see some really good results there because you'll at least be focusing on responsibility, accountability, and transformation. On the other hand, if you're in a psychoeducational group, uh, I think you'll at least, from a secular point of view, be exposed to the dynamics and impact of abuse. You'll be called to account on the abuse that you've used. You'll be told that your beliefs are core to that abuse, uh, but you won't really be given direction for change, right? And if it is given, it'll be from a more humanistic perspective and so in a lot of ways it'll be a more polite version or a more selfish version of um, self-centered version of the world and i do think that that's somewhat incomplete as well i guess i bring this up because when folks ask me questions about treatment options i do think there is an assumption that if i can just get into counseling if i'm an abuser and i can just get into counseling I'll get a diagnosis, I'll get on medication and I'll be better and that's just not true. There's no medical-based medical treatment for abuse because abuse is not a medical problem. It's a problem within the heart. Some folks, if I could just get my partner to the right counselor, then he will produce repentance, he will change and the reality of that is that's not up to the counselor or the counseling process or the program or style that the counselor uses it's really a matter again of the heart and your partner's willingness to change the same is true within groups if i could just get uh, into this group for instance right so some groups don't accept volunteers and so you know you'll hear guys lament you mean i have to break the law to get into this group that can help me and the assumption is that only the group can help me but the reality is if you don't want to change if you don't want to do the hard work, if you don't want to sacrifice and make the commitment to making your life better by choosing safety and sanity over control, then you won't see the benefits of the group. It really is client-dependent, counselee, or participant-dependent. I guess that's why when I'm asked these questions and we talk about the, the failure of treatment options for abusers, I come back to the necessity of the gospel. You see, the gospel is key to a heart transformation to an individual's moving from death to life. And if um, if a batterer and if you're listening today and, and you have been using coercion and control, um, I want to call you to account that that will not work. It, it will Give you some kind of satisfaction in the short term but in the long term it's going to destroy your family it's going to destroy your partner it's going to destroy your kids in many ways your relationship with them and it's going to lead to self-destruction much the same way that jesus said you're building your house on sand and the circumstances of life is going to lead to a crushing defeat and you're going to be crushed beneath the weight of it it's important that you listen to the words of Jesus and put them into practice, that he calls you to repentance, to putting off the old way and to putting on a new way. Heartbroken contrition, godly sorrow, according to um, 2 Corinthians chapter seven, is necessary for you to move forward, right? In, um, in a path that is going to provide safety and sanity for your family. Look, I'll settle for safety. I mean, if you want the behavior modification, then yeah, counseling or group models are your best bet. They will help you modify your behavior in such a way that you will be slightly safer than you were before, that your tactics will not necessarily be as harmful or as hurtful or as devastating as there were. But if you really want to see transformation happen, if you really want to move again from death to life, you have to move beyond behavior modification. That doesn't just mean safety and sanity. It doesn't just mean security. It means sanctification that you will have to have that John the Baptist kind of prayer that says, I must decrease and he must increase. That you would be humble enough to put on the mind of Christ and abandon the heart of abuse. Philippians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus had everything. and He considered equality with God something that he wasn't going to cling to or grasp to, but he embraced humility. That's the call to all of us, in particular those who are using coercion and control in your relationships, to recognize that you have been ruled by your own pride for far too long and it has devastating effects on the people in your life. And that humility is the proper response. And you'll never properly, effectively walk in humility without surrender to Jesus. My hope is that today's podcast has been helpful, maybe clarifying. There are many different options out there for individuals seeking help. Counseling is certainly one of those, but please seek out a counselor who has knowledge of the dynamics and impact of abuse perhaps experience or supervision in that work groups are a great option for individuals if you want to um, modify behavior and want to develop some understanding of the dynamics and impact process that with other men but really the gospel is the most effective means to seeing your heart and your life changed. So connecting with someone who understands the dynamics and impact of abuse and the sufficient sanctifying nature of the gospel is your next best bet. Hey, stay tuned to the PeaceWorks podcast. Keep watching our website. We're going to be uh, releasing some material in the next uh, several months. Hopefully that's going to lead towards some options that might be helpful for you if you're looking to change. Uh, But in the meantime, Let me continue to encourage you to pursue people and settings that can help you process what you're doing and how you can see freedom from that and safety, sanity, and security for your family. Till next time, God bless.